and we are live with Detachment 075. Welcome to our sixth episode of the Detachments podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Cadet Third Class Jerian Gihama. As always, I am accompanied by members of the PA team, Cadet Major Rojas and Cadet Third Class Kinghorn. We have a very special guest for everyone. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Colonel Grimm. Welcome to the show, sir. Awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate you guys having me here. It should be fun. Awesome. It's a pleasure to have you, sir. Um, so for all the listeners out there, um, can you please give a brief introduction about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Colonel Graham, I'm the, I'm the deck commander here at, uh, at 075, best in the West. Been in the job for, uh, I guess, coming up on a year and a half now. Uh, unfortunately, a, a, a good portion of that has been virtual, which has taken some of the uh, some of the fun out of it. But uh, um, still, a you know fantastic opportunity to to give back to the Air Force and uh, you know help uh, young folks that are just starting out their Air Force journey. Uh, you know, help them along that path. Um, so I, I'm a I'm an Army brat. Uh, my dad did 23 years in the Army. My two older brothers uh, they went in the Air Force, uh, so I ended up following them. So. All three of my dad's sons uh, went in the Air Force. I'm not sure how, how he feels about that and with none of us going in the Army. Uh, I consider Kansas home because my dad retired actually when I was pretty young. Uh, so I grew up in Kansas um, and uh, went through ROTC and uh, been on active duty now for over 25 years. So that's a, that's a I guess, a, oh, I guess I should mention also uh, probably a, a very important part. And if, if my wife listens to this, if I doesn't, if I didn't mention this, um, you know, I'd get locked upside the head or something at least. Um, also been, been, uh, been married for, um, come up on 28 years. Uh, we have four girls, uh, from 27 to, uh, 17, uh, and two grandsons also. Awesome. Got boys in my life. Finally. So that's me. Awesome, sir. Thank you. So, um, growing up, uh, uh, where did the, where did the interest start with uh, joining the military? Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely started because of my dad. Um, so, uh, I, again, I consider Kansas home. Um, I was born in New York and, um, so we were stationed in New York. We were stationed in New Jersey at one time. We were stationed in Germany and then, uh, we were stationed at Fort Riley, uh, in Kansas. And that's where my dad retired out of it was Fort Riley, Kansas. Um, so not only obviously my dad being in, in the military, but then when he retired and we stayed right next to it, you know, this ginormous army base. So I was constantly around the army uh, all the time and around the military. And, um, so that obviously drew interest, drew my interest, but just listening to, to my dad talk about, uh, his experiences within the army and, uh, you know, the camaraderie that he experienced, uh, the different opportunities that the Army provided him, uh, the leadership opportunities that he was presented. Uh, so I found all that very fascinating. And, and then also just, you know, being around him and his buddies, uh, you know, after retired, you know, talking, you know, about the old days when we did this and we did that, and, you know, whatever. Uh, so all that just kind of came together. Um, you know, having this, this interest, but also this passion to, to serve. Um, and it just always seemed like the right thing to do, um, you know, to, to be able to serve, serve our country, um, you know, to hopefully have a positive impact on, uh, you know, on the military, but, you know, mainly the people that you're around. Um, so, so that's really what, what started gearing me towards, 
uh, towards a, you know life in the military. So moving down the path of schooling within your career, uh, what school did you go to and, and what did you study? And I went to uh, to the best university out there. I don't know. Can I say that on this? I mean, you know, San Diego State is the second best university out there. Kansas State University is probably the best university out there. No, I, I don't know. Uh, so I, I went to Kansas State University. Um, so uh, took me a little bit time to graduate to you know figure out you know what I wanted to study and that type of stuff. So I, I actually did five years uh, while I was there. Um, that's where I met my wife. Also, we met in college, and in fact, we got married in college. And uh, uh, yeah, so majored in in uh, in history. So I, after a couple of years of messing around with different different majors, I finally settled in on on history. That was probably the subject that you know obviously it interests me the most. Um, so I, I went after a history degree. Sounds good, sir. So when you started going in the Air Force, why did you choose ROTC? Yeah, no, that's, that's a it's a great question, and uh, so a little bit of backstory. So um, again, I talked a little bit about my interest of of going in the military, and and I'm quite honest with you, I, I was uh, I was pretty set on going in the army, right? Um, and what I had my eyes on is I want to be an infantry officer. I want to be infantry officer. I want to go to ranger school. I want to go airborne school, um, and you know I, I want to be a platoon leader. You know I, I wanted to lead soldiers. Um, you know, I'm, I consider myself kind of a, a ground guy anyways. And, and that was really kind of my, my, my interest and my, my thought of, of where I, I would head in, uh, in my military experience. And I actually had debated a little bit between enlisting and, and going off to college. Um, but you know, the college opportunity presented itself. Uh, so, so I ended up going to college. Now, obviously I watched both my brother, my, so I'm the baby of the family. So my, my brothers were older than me. And uh, so I got to watch and listen uh, or, you know, talk about their careers in the Air Force and how much they were enjoying the Air Force. Uh, but the real driving point uh, for me was uh, back in 1991. Um, so I was a, a freshman in, in college. Uh, I had not joined ROTC at this point. Um, you know, still you know, having this debate in my mind, like, you know, do I enlist? Do I try to go the ROTC route? You know, and really geared towards the Army. And uh, so Desert Storm happened. I'm sure you guys have read about that in your history, history books. And, uh, and unfortunately, my, my, uh, one of my older brothers was, was uh, killed in action. Um, so he was a, a navigator on an AC-130 gunship uh, that was shot down. And uh, watching how the Air Force treated his family. So he, he was married and had two little girls. And uh, watching how the Air Force took care of his wife and kids uh, after he was killed and the way they interacted with our family, um, I was just, I was completely impressed. You know, and I was an impressionable 18 year old at, at that time when he was killed and uh, just watching how the Air Force took care of, took care of their own. Um, that immediately flipped a switch for me. I'm like, I'm, I'm Army's out. Uh, I'm going Air Force. I want to be part of that organization. Uh, the, the way that they've stepped up and to take care of the family. Um, so literally right after he was killed, I, I, uh, I walked into the ROTC building, walked into the, the Air Force office, and I was like, how do I do this? This, this is what I want to do. And uh, so they basically signed me up, and, and I started the, the next semester and, and, uh, and did four years of Air Force ROTC. So that, that's, that's what got me to uh, into the Air Force um, and made me decide 
to do ROTC. And my brother that got killed, he actually, uh, he graduated from Kansas State also and went through the ROTC program at, at Kansas State University. So Sorry that's kind about of your loss there. Yeah. Um, so when when you were in Air Force RTC, was you like what you said you wanted to be a ground guy in, in the army. So did that ultimately influence your decision to go into security forces? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I, I see the Air Force missions all about flying, um, you know, what, which I think is absolutely fascinating. And like I, I mentioned earlier, you know, I was very interested about jumping out of airplanes, um, but never had the passion to fly. It just, it was, you know, my brother was a navigator. He wanted to be a pilot, but um, his his uh, eyesight wasn't good enough to be a pilot. Um, and you know that that was his dream. That's what he always wanted to do. And uh, for whatever reason, it just that just wasn't my big interest. Um, thought it was cool. You know, saw you know the cool movies back in the day. You guys may have seen it on you know Top Gun. You know that type of stuff. Uh, you know it was you know it, it was cool to watch, um, but I, I never had that that calling to fly. So. I really didn't know what I wanted to do at all, to be honest with you. Uh, had had no idea. Um, again, I knew I wanted to be part of the organization uh, because of the way that they were taking care of of the of uh, my brother's family. So, um, so I'm going through RTC, you know, exploring different stuff, and uh, I get sent on. I think they call it Ops Air Force now. Uh, so I got the opportunity to go to Hurlburt, uh Field down in Florida for a couple of weeks and, you know, visit different career fields while we were down there. And, uh, and to be honest with you, I didn't even know it. So security forces back then was called security police. Um, didn't know anything about them. Didn't even know, you know, I was familiar with MPs with military police in the army. Um, I hadn't really thought that much about them. Um, but so I'm, I'm down at Herbert field and, you know, I see these airmen, uh, you know, they got these cool berets on, uh, carrying, carrying guns and, you know, all this other stuff. I'm like, who are those guys? What are they all about? And uh, so I got an opportunity to spend some time uh, with, the, with the security police down there at Hurlburt and was able to learn about their, about their mission. And when I got back to my detachment, I talked to our APAS, um, to, to Major Bavra. And I was like, hey, sir, I want to do that security police stuff. How, how, do, I, how do I do that? And, and that's kind of what I geared, geared towards uh, and ended up putting that as my number one choice uh, for career fields and was lucky enough to get selected for it. And that's, that's what drew me to the, the cool berets and carrying guns. That's, that's what uh, initially drove me to, to, uh, security forces. So, and obviously once I learned about the mission, um, it, it, it really did appeal to me. So it was good. Quite an interesting story. So concluding the, the air force choice section, uh, was there an important lesson or takeaway that you had, detracted from your experience uh, in the Air Force ROTC in Kansas? Yeah. So I think probably one of the, one of the biggest things that, that uh, you may not even realize that you're learning it, um, but it, it's about the teamwork. It's about you know, being together and accomplishing um, a, a mission. While we may have all been thinking about ourselves as individuals, like, hey, you know, I, I want to make it to commissioning. I want to earn those second lieutenant bars. I want to be a second lieutenant United States Air Force. I want to do security forces. I want to be a pilot. I want to do you know, whatever it is. Um, but at the end of the day, as I look back on it, we all came together to ensure that we all succeeded. And, and I don't even know that we realized we were doing it. Um, but again, the camaraderie, it just, it, it came, it came, I don't know if it's natural, but it was definitely part of 
of, of the experience there. And, and as looking back on that, um, you see the same thing on active duty, right? And I've seen it for the last 25 years, right? You know, it's all about the team. It's all about the teamwork, right? It's not, it's not, the, it's not about the individual. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't give individual effort. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we expect uh, our airmen to be the best, best tacticians at whatever it is that, that they're doing. Um, but it takes the team in order to get everything done. Uh, and that started to really come to light and become evident during ROTC, even though I didn't really realize it at, at the time, if that makes sense. Um, but, but definitely one of, the, one of the biggest lessons learned for sure. Okay. Thank you, sir. So was ever your degree even associated with security forces or helping you to become a security forces officer? Technically, probably not because it was a history degree. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's important to you know, understand history and, and learn from history. And I, I think that can help inform decisions. Uh, I think it can help you potentially not make mistakes, you know, not repeat mistakes from the past, uh, that type of stuff. Um, so, so in a roundabout way, yes. Um, you know, you know, looking back on it, should, should I've gotten a, you know, criminal justice degree, uh, maybe I, I didn't, I ended up getting, you know, later on when I was in active duty, I, I got a master's degree in criminal justice. Um, but one of the things that my, my ape has suggested that I do while I was in ROTC is look at being a reserve police officer with the civilian department. So, um, so where Kansas state's at is in the town of Manhattan and, uh, they had a reserve program, um, but it was pretty intensive. Like you had to do X, you know, I forget all the requirements, but you had to do X number of hours a month and you know, blah, blah, blah. And you know, I, was, I was a you know, full-time college student. Uh, I was working, uh, married, my wife was working. We had a first kid uh, while we were in college and it, the requirements just became too much and, and my life was, was getting out of balance. Um, so there was another, it was a very small town right outside of Manhattan, Wamigo. Um, that had a very small police department that had a reserve program also. So, um, so I ended up going on with them and they didn't have the same minimum requirements for how much you had to work that Manhattan had. So, uh, so I ended up, you know, spending, gosh, what my last year and a half, I guess, in college, I was a reserve, a reserve police officer with them, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and I think that's probably one of the biggest things that helps me getting selected because uh, it allowed the the cadre when you know they submitted all my stuff, uh, you know, hey, his number one choice is security police, and you know, oh by the way, you know, he's a reserve police officer, and da 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 da. Uh, so I, I think I you know I can't I can't say a hundred percent sure you know why I was selected for it, but I I would have to assume that helped uh, helped me get selected as as a, a security police officer. More than the degree did. Obviously, I had to have the degree just to get commissioned, but um, but for the actual selection of security police, I think that probably had a, a big role on it. Thank you, sir. Um, so for cadets out there that are aspiring or interested in becoming a security forces officer, um, do you recommend any particular degree or programs that they could do to help them out in their careers as a security forces officer? Yeah. Um, so to go back to you, and Anything with, um, you know, criminal justice, you know, obviously I think that that plays into a, a portion of what we do. Um, you know, any kind of psychology also, you know, to learn about how you deal with people and how people think, uh, you know, that, that type of stuff. 
uh, and, and even into some uh, sociology uh, type stuff also. Uh, so I think all any of those type, type of things would, would, I think, be beneficial to you uh, as, a, as a security forces officer. Because so you got to look at security forces. There's there's three. In my opinion, there's there's like three main mission sets for security forces. Right. So you have your your normal law enforcement. Uh, portion, you know, where you know you're enforcing, you know, normal laws like a normal police, de- a civilian police department would do it, you know, wherever your hometown is at. Um, so you do that on on the Air Force base, right? Um, but then you also have your security mission, which is like protecting aircraft, um, you know, other high value, you know, equipment, items, resources. Um, in the Air Force, we use protection level, so protection level resources, uh, protecting them. And then the third mission set being uh, base defense. And uh, when you do base defense, especially uh, like in a combat zone, uh, you may end up spending you know time outside uh, the air base to ensure that the air base isn't getting attacked. And again, if you know how to deal with people, if you understand societies, um, if you understand the, 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 the history and the culture of the areas that, that you're having to operate in, um, I think that is very beneficial to you as, as you develop, uh, you know, your scheme of maneuver. Uh, so having that background in, in you know, criminal justice, criminology, you know, psychology, uh, sociology, uh, that type, any of that type of stuff, I think is, is beneficial. So now moving discussion over into security forces field in particular, mm-hmm. uh, what particular training did you have to go through? Uh, and can you describe it? I know it was a while ago, but just give <laughs> us the gist. Wow. A long time ago. Um, yeah. So so it was a little bit different when I went through. Um, so when I when I did my my tech school training, uh, so it was split. Uh, so I had to go to uh, Fort Dix, New Jersey, for for two months to do air base ground defense training. And at the time, it was run jointly by the Army and the Air Force, and it really taught you again how to defend air bases uh, in austere environments, in combat zones, that type of stuff. Uh, you know, it, it it gave you some of the essential um, you know, small unit tactics, uh, you know, light infantry type skills. Um, and, and that's why it was, it was done jointly, uh, with the army. Uh, so got to learn about, you know, you know, patrolling both mounted and, and dismounted. Uh, so in vehicles, not in vehicles, um, how to operate in, uh, urban terrain, you know, built up areas, you know, towns and, and that type of stuff. Uh, you know, again, how to maneuver, uh, you know, to maneuver forces and how to defend bases. So then the, the second, uh, portion of our tech school was down at Lackland Air Force Base, and uh, it dealt with the law enforcement and security side of the house. So spent a lot of time, you know, learning the, the, the normal stuff that you would associate with being a police officer, uh, you know, from, you know, simple stuff like, you know, how do you handcuff somebody? How do you challenge somebody? Uh, how do you respond to a domestic? How do you, you know, do a high risk traffic stop? How do you secure a crime scene? Uh, all, all that type of stuff. And then on the security side of the house, again, how to protect uh, protection level uh, resources, so how to protect aircraft, uh, how to protect nuclear weapons, um, that different type of stuff. So today, all of security forces officer tech school is all held down at Lackland Air Force Base with a portion of it um, out at Camp Bullis, which is in, in, in the northern part of, of San Antonio. Uh, so everything is, is handled down in San Antonio. 
still kind of the same basic uh, concept, but everything is now run by the army and you go down there and you do the course. So it's not two separate courses. Like when I went through and uh, again, we had the army component. Why, uh, when I went through also, but it's all run by the air force now and, and you go down and I think it's like a, a three month tech school. Uh, I think it's like three months now. So with all that, that background and, and policing knowledge, you're basically not the guy to mess with on the streets. <laughs> I don't know about it. Not anymore. I mean, you can mess with me all you want now. I'm, I'm old and broken. Not sure. <laughs> so going into your officer career, what are the main challenges as a new lieutenant in the security forces side? Yeah. So, uh, you know, a, a lot of challenges, right? Um, so, so you have to understand with, with security forces that, um, so it's, there's not a lot of officers to begin with. So depending on which squadron you go to, um, you may not have a whole bunch of peers. Uh, you won't have a whole bunch of people to, to hang out with from, from your squadron. Um, and you'll find that you're the same age as a lot of A1Cs and, and, uh, and, and senior airmen. Um, but, you know, obviously you got to keep that professional realm, uh, you know, with the, with the enlisted corps. Um, but probably one of the, one of the other, you know, the biggest challenges I would, I would say is your simple lack of knowledge, right. Um, and that knowledge based off experience, right. So, you know, when I showed up my first duty station, so, you know, young second Lieutenant Grimm shows up, Hey, what's up. Right. And, uh, and I don't know Jack, right. Uh, cool. I graduated, you know, from college, I got a college degree, yay! but that college degree doesn't, you know, replace experience. Um, so, you, know, you get assigned to a flight and uh, you know, you're in charge of that flight and you have the least amount of, of experience of everybody that's there. Right. And so, you know, you have a, a brand new airman six months out of tech school that has six months more experience than you do. Right. So, um, so you, you got to learn. Um, and I would argue the best way to learn is obviously to learn from, from your people, right. Uh, you know, find those NCOs that really understand your mission set, you know, tuck yourself underneath their wings and, and learn. Um, know when to keep your mouth shut and listen. Um, but also, don't be afraid to ask questions either, right? Because you'll get you'll get some uh, you know young lieutenants that come in and you know they're afraid that they're going to look dumb in front of somebody or something like that. Um, but I think what you'll find is most people appreciate uh, being asked questions, being able you know being able to to share their their knowledge and, and their experience of what they they've learned over, over their careers. Uh, so, um, so, you know, not being the smartest guy in the room, uh, can be very difficult. Uh, you know, even though that you might be the guy that's, that's supposed to be in charge, um, being humble enough to, to understand that, um, and not be afraid to, to ask questions. Uh, so, so I'll give you an example if, if, if I can. Um, so I was a flight commander out at, uh, Aviano Air Base in Italy. And, uh, so I was on Charlie flight working swings and mid. So we'd work three swing shift. Uh, so it was like our swing shifts, uh, two to 10, I think. Uh, then we'd work three midnight shifts. So, uh, you know, 2200 to, to zero six, uh, and then three days off So three swings, three mids, three days off and then re repeat. So I, I was a, a flight commander for Charlie flight. And of course I had a flight, uh, flight sergeant. And, uh, so any time before I made a decision that would affect the flight, I always cleared it through the flight sergeant. Always, 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 right? It's like, hey, hey, Sergeant Irwin, hey, this, is, this is what I think we should do. Are you cool with it? 
yeah, sir, that's cool. Or, eh, no, uh, no, sir, wait, we're not, that, that's dumb. We ain't doing that. We're going to do, we're going to do this. Like, yeah, Roger Sartre, got it. Um, so, uh, so, you know, that's a very simplistic e example that, you know, I made sure I went to the folks that had the experience, that had the knowledge and ensured that, uh, that I wasn't leading the flight down the wrong path. Right. So they, they kept me in check and, and I hope I was humble enough to, you know, to listen to them and, and not, not make those, those bad decisions. Um, cause I came up with all kinds of bad decisions, but, but, but they, uh, they kept me in check without a doubt. Uh, and you know, I hope you all experience this and the air force and, and, and the space force, they got a fantastic, an amazing enlisted corps. Um, and it's what I argue, it's what separates us from other nations, militaries, um, is how, how good our enlisted corps is, how professional they are, uh, how good, how good they are. Uh, you know, you know, their job knowledge and expertise, just, it's just, just amazing without a doubt. Did I get off topic? Did I get on my soapbox? No. Okay. No, sir. Oh, that was, that was a great answer, sir. Um, so as a very experienced security forces officer, um, can you please explain what would be the pros and cons of the profession? Yeah. Um, so, so let's talk about some of the cons, right? Um, so, so part of the cons is, is you're a shift worker for, for, a, you know, a, a good portion of, of your career. Um, so, you know, a lot of people, you know, they want to work Monday through Friday, right? And then they have their weekends off to do whatever. Um, a lot of times you don't have that, right? And, you know, so all your friends are going off to, hey, we're going to go, you know, do this this weekend. It's going to be awesome. We have this party here, whatever, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I got to work, right? Um, so, so that can make things uh, very difficult. Uh, you know, with, with security forces, you know, the, the unit is on duty 24 hours a day, right? Seven days a week, 365 days a year. You know, it doesn't matter holidays, you know, birthdays, you know, any of that type of stuff. Um, so you end up missing a lot simply by being a shift worker. Um, so so that can can make things very difficult. Uh, you know, since 9-11, our uh, our ops tempo has been been crazy uh, on the enlisted side of the house uh, for a good portion of of, uh, of the time since 9-11. Uh, you know, they've been on a one-to-one -one deployment ratio. So out for six months, home for six months, out for six months, home for six months, um, you know, which is, which is difficult. Uh, you know, it's difficult on the body, um, but it's difficult on families, man. Uh, so, so that, that makes it, makes it very hard. Um, so, so that can be a con. Um, there are times, you know, uh, on, on a base, you know, people can get upset with you as a, as an organization, um, you know, if you've been on an air force base, you have to go through the gates that are controlled by security forces. So if traffic gets backed up, you know, whose fault is that? Well, it's ours. Right. So, so we get blamed for, for that type of stuff. Um, you know, if there's an incident, we have to set up a cordon for something. So we block traffic or can't, you know, people can't get to their, to their buildings or, you know, whatever, um, you know, whose, whose fault is that? It's ours. So, so you get blamed for, for some of the inconveniences uh, that, that happen uh, out there also. Um, but on the positive side of the house, uh, one, I, I think we play a huge part in the overall mission for United States Air Force. You know, we, we try to provide a, a safe environment for everybody else to be able to accomplish whatever their mission sets are um, and not let the enemy have a, a vote in, in uh, how we're going to operate on an installation. Um, I think the camaraderie within security forces 
is is uh, is pretty amazing. You know, I, again, I go back to to Charlie flight at Aviano when I was a, a, a lieutenant um, and working swings and mids. You know, you know, working those midnight shifts. You know, we're the, we're basically the only ones on base. You know, you know, other first responders obviously are out there also. You know, the fire department and that type of stuff. Um, but I mean, we were tight, man. We we're it was all about the family. It was all about the Charlie flight family, and uh, and and you get really close and 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 build build a, you know, just this family environment, you know, this relationship with your fellow airmen. Uh, that's, that's just absolutely amazing. And, and you, you guys will do anything for each other. Right. Uh, you know, with Charlie flight, we had, I think 55 airmen and, uh, you know, to this day, I'm still in contact, you know, you know, 22 years later, uh, you know, with, I would say probably at least 75% of the flight. Um, so you just build these type of relationships, uh, you know, which, which is awesome. Um, you know, I also had a, a lot of, uh, job satisfaction, uh, for the mission, uh, the mission sets that we got to do. Um, you know, the deployments were, uh, you know, suck being away from, from the family without a doubt. Um, but professionally very, very, uh, fulfilling and you know, really feel like you're making it, making a difference. Um, you know, defending an air base in, you know, Iraq or in Afghanistan or, uh, you know, uh, allowing the other entities to, to carry out their missions. Um, I, I found, I found it very fulfilling. Um, and then, you know, whether you're on the enlisted side or the officer side, as you fill leadership uh, positions, uh, you get an opportunity to make a real impact in people's lives, right. And hopefully a positive impact in people's lives. Um, you can help them meet their professional and their personal goals. Right. Uh, and that's the type of impact that you can have on, on people, uh, you know, even as a second lieutenant, um, again, in security forces, you know, the, the frontline supervisor, the staffs aren't out there. That staffs are, you know, it's got four or five, six airmen that they're responsible for. And, and they're responsible for, you know, almost everything that's going on in that airman's life. Right. And, and they're really guiding that airman to success uh, again, both in their, their, their personal life and within their, their professional life. Uh, so, you know, in, on the, on the officer side of the house, you get to have that same type of impact also. Um, that's what's kept me in the Air Force more than anything is being around airmen, uh, you know, helping them fulfill their goals, watching them grow, watching them become these fantastic, you know, NCOs and officers. I mean, it's just, it, it just, it's completely fulfilling for me. Um, and I love watching their success without a doubt. So you, you mentioned the, the meaningful and, and sort of impactful experience that you, that you got to leave others with. As you advanced in your military career, I presume that each and every assignment implied more responsibilities and bigger problems to be solved. Can you explain any techniques that you use to approach each new assignment to make a, that exact positive and meaningful impact? Yeah. Um, so, you know, lots of different ways to, to, to explore this question uh, for sure. Um, but I would argue one of, one of the ways, especially as you start to move up, um, is to ensure that you surround yourself with great people. Right. Uh, and, and you guys may have heard me say this before. I, I will never claim to be the brightest guy in the room. I, I, I'm, I'm just not right. Um, but I would like to think that I had the ability to make sure I surround myself with, with good people um, that that want to do good for their fellow airmen, that want to do good for the mission, uh, want to do good, you know, obviously, for, for the United States Air Force. Um, so I think that's that's a key part as as you move forward. Um, so 
you know, it, I, I talked about you know being a flight commander, always going to the to the flight sheet before making it uh, making a decision. So I, I can use that same uh, rationale, or I use that same rationale as I continue to advance um, throughout my career. So you know, after being a, a flight commander, um, you what you strive for next in our career field is you want to be an operations officer. Uh, so I, I was fortunate enough I got to do that a couple of times. Um, and as an operations officer, you have an a operations superintendent uh, that you work with, uh, who's normally a senior mass sergeant. And uh, so as an ops officer, you know, I'm a captain, um, I have a little more experience now, but I always went to the ops suit before I made big decisions. Always. Hey, senior, this is what I'm getting ready to do. Are you good with that? Not good with that? You know, you make sure that, again, I'm making the right decision. Again, you know, think about a senior master and, you know, about 20 years of experience compared to my five years of experience. Right. Um, and. I thought it was always very important to ensure that uh, that you know, I got I got their blessing before making decisions. Um, then on to being a squadron commander, right? After after being an op operations officer, you, you hope to be a squadron commander. Uh, I was very fortunate; I got to I got to command four different squadrons, and uh, so I had a chief mass sergeant as uh, our our security forces manager uh, within our squadron. So same same thing, right? Before I make a decision to affect that squadron, hey chief, here, here's a you know, here, here's the problem set. Uh, here's what I was thinking. Am I off base? You know, what do you think? What what, what do we need to do? You know, uh, here's the decision I want to make. Are you good with it? Not good with it? Uh, and I always cleared everything through the chief. So uh, then, you know, my my next level of command that I, I got to do, and this is the highest command I got to do, was, was a group commander. Um, and as a group commander, I had a group chief, right? So uh, same thing. Hey, Chief, here, here's what get ready to push out to the group, right? And, you know, I've got over 20 years of experience at this point. And uh, um, in fact, I'm even older than Chief, but uh, they're still a Chief, right? They're still Chief Mass Sergeant, um, and, and their experience is, you know, is still superior. So uh, always cleared everything through the Chief, right? Um, so Want to want to have good folks folks around you, you know, especially in some of those key positions, you know, an op superintendent. Um, you know, as a group commander, I wanted to ensure that I had really good squadron commanders. Uh, you know, and for each of those squadrons, that they had good chief mass sergeants within their squadrons. They had good operations officers. They had good uh, op superintendents. Uh, they had good first sergeants, um, because you know that that key leadership team uh, is huge in the overall success of your your squadron your group um that type of stuff and i'll even take it a step further as a detachment commander at san diego state university over 25 years of experience um you know i would clear everything through seeing master and scare merge right hey senior you know here, here's what we're getting ready to do you know with the cadets are, are, are you cool with this um and i always got the, the, the seniors um input before you know making decisions that would affect the cadet wing so is, uh, is that a leadership technique that you can sort of advise cadets to use? Yes. Um, now, you don't always get to control your team, right? Um, but if you have the ability to affect your team, right, and, and to surround your, yourself with the people um, that will make your team stronger, uh, more successful, uh, and not just on the mission side of the house, but taking care of people at, at the same time, uh, anytime that, that you can, you can do that is, is huge. So, um, but because you can't always control who's around you, 
I think the other one of the key aspects, and I know the three of you have heard me talk about this uh, quite a bit, is, is getting to know your people. Right. Um, and it doesn't matter what level you're at. You need to get to know to know your people and get to know them on a personal level. Okay. And I'll, I'll admittedly, the, you, know, you know, as a group commander, that becomes very difficult uh, when you have over 1,300 people in your organization. Uh, it gets very hard to know 1,300 people on a, a personal level. Um, but the more time that you spend getting to know your folks on a personal level, one, you'll know, you know how to best surround yourself with, with folks. Um, but when you can't control it, uh, you'll still know what makes that particular person tick. Right? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? You know, why are they there? What are their desires? What are their goals? Right? Um, and then how can you help them achieve those professional or, or, uh, or personal goals? And how does that intertwine with mission success? Right? And how does that intertwine with um, you know, taking initiatives uh, to being innovative? Right? So you're not just simply getting the mission done, but you're getting better as an organization. Uh, and that takes getting to know your folks on a personal level um, so they, they understand who you are, you understand who they are. Um, you can have open lines of communication to really talk about the organization, about the mission, about where you're trying to go. Um, ensure that you have everybody's input so you can make the, the, the best decisions possible and, uh, and move them and the entire organization forward uh, to be successful. Uh, so they're successful, and obviously that your organization uh, is is successful also. Um, a lot of people can give that that lip service, right? You know, okay, yeah, oh, yeah, I definitely, man, I know all my people in 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 my flight or in my squadron or my group, whatever. Absolutely, right? Oh, really? So, how long you know Smitty been married? Uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure he's married. Yeah, but how long how long has he been married? How old is his kids? Right. Is, is, is he just doing this enlistment and pressing out and wants to do something else on the outside or, you know, it, you know is he planning on reenlisting? Right. What, what, what's his overall game plans? Um, you know, it, and there's there's people that don't take the time to really get to know their folks. Um, and I would argue that's one of the most important things you can, you can do. And you can't do it via email. You can't do it, you know, via your, your, your text messaging. Um, you got to do it face to face. You have to have that personal connection. Thank you, sir. Um, so with all that experience that you just said, um, there are cadets out there that like are afraid to make mistakes. So maybe to help put them at ease, will you be able to share your biggest mistake or failure? And what did you learn from it? Oh, my goodness. Um, so I got to think about what a Man, I've I made so many mistakes, um, and, and they just—I mean—they—they they happen, right? Um, one of the things that cadets need to really understand within ROTC is, you know, ROTC is a safe environment to make mistakes, right, and to learn from your mistakes, right? Um, as cadets, you know, during lead lab, if you're put in a, in a leadership position, um, nobody's shooting at you, right? You know, the, the mission's not going to fail if you turn left when you're supposed to turn right, you know. Um, so if we build the right environment within the detachment, then folks would understand that it's okay to make, make mistakes and to learn from those mistakes. Now, if you keep making the same mistake over and over and over again, then that's an issue that, that we need to address. Um, 
and it may simply be a training issue. It may be a, a comprehension issue, um, whatever it may be. Obviously, we, we, have, we have to work, work through that. Um, but folks need to understand it's okay to make mistakes, and, and it happens uh, all, all the time. Right. Um, and it can be simple, simple mistakes. Right. When I got to the attachment, you know, uh, CMS scare Mooch is, you know, trying to teach me some of this admin stuff. And she's like, all right, I just need you to input this stuff into wings, right. Into this the computer system thing. All right. See, I got this. I just, go away. Let me just do this. Right. And I bring that and I did it all wrong. Right. And then, uh, you know, her being a good senior math sergeant, no, you know, she didn't go fix it. She made me fix it, which was, which was awesome. Um, you know, but I had to, you know, I had to admit that, you know, I, I screwed it all up and, uh, um, you know, she didn't let me screw up anything, you know, that would permanently, you know, hurt a cadet's career. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I had to go back in and, and fix it. Um, so, you know, all, all kinds of mistakes. Um, I, I don't know if I come up, come up with other, other good examples. Oh, I had, uh, so I told you I'll always, you know, as, as a flight commander, as a op suit or as a, as a commander, I always went to, to my, uh, you know, my flight chief, my ops super, or the chief, um, for advice uh, and direction before making decisions. So I'm stationed at, at Nellis Air Force Base. Um, I'm the ops officer, uh, and we're having a ops staff meeting. And uh, my ops soup was senior mass sergeant John Western, and he's now a retired chief mass sergeant. Awesome, awesome dude. Uh, still keep in contact with him today. And uh, so, anyways. Um, so he says something in the staff meeting and I go against him in front of everybody in this meeting. Right. And, and I said, whatever I said, I don't even remember what it's about. Um, but I remember this distinctly because I looked at him and he shot me a look. Remember, so he's a senior master and I'm a captain. And uh, so technically, technically I outrank him. Right. And, uh, and he gave me this look and all I could think was, I'm in so much trouble once this meeting ends. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be this is gonna be bad. And uh, so they get to the to the rest of the meeting, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I I went back and tried to correct correct uh, you know whatever I said against against the senior in front of everybody. Um, but so the meeting gets over, and and I go in my office, and I'm just waiting, right? And I'm like, oh man, this is gonna be bad, and. Uh, Sure enough, you know, a minute or two later, you know, the, the, the senior didn't, did, did not wait. He comes in and he closes my door, right? Like a good senior NCO should do, right? You know, he, he's going to, he's going to discipline in, in private. And uh, yeah, he let me have it without a doubt. And sir, you will never, ever, you know, contradict me in front of people again. Like, I mean, just tore me up. I'm like, Roger, senior. Roger. Yep. Check Roger senior got it. Um, Cause I was, I was definitely in the wrong, you know, if, if I disagreed with senior, I should have, I should have dealt with that in, in, uh, in private and not in, in public. Uh, and, and uh, he corrected my mistake uh, with, without a doubt. And, and I earned uh, every bit of it. So uh, yeah, some, you know, you know, we make mistakes all the time. Uh, I, I think the important part is understanding, you know, when you make, make a mistake is that you own it. Right. It's your mistake. Uh, own it. Right. Be confident in, in the fact that, uh, um, you know, we're all we're all human, um, but we're good enough to learn from our mistakes and that we can get better. Right. So own your mistakes. Don't hand it off to somebody else. Don't blame somebody else. Uh, own, own your mistakes um, and then internalize it and do, in fact, learn from it. 
right? Because uh, what you don't want to do is make the same mistakes, uh, you know, over and over again. Uh, you you want to learn from those mistakes. And then the last part, right? Uh, and so I use this a lot at field training. Um, so if you're in a leadership position and you make a mistake, right? Own it, internalize it so you don't make the same mistake. But as you pass off that leadership position to the next cadet, teach them, mentor them. Hey, man, here's what, what worked for me. And oh, by the way, here's what did not work at all, right? And here's how I screwed that up. I would highly recommend you not make the same mistake that I just did, right? So you're helping your fellow cadets, you're helping your fellow airmen, um, and you're helping your organization to get better, right? By teaching other people about the mistakes that you made. Um, and that can be difficult for folks, right? Because they'd be like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm not admitting to anybody I'm, that I'm not perfect. And get over it. Ain't nobody out there perfect. So, um, yeah. That's my two cents on that. This is probably going to be off topic, but what was your favorite assignment specifically and why? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, what everyone always tell you is oh, all my assignments are, they're all great. Um, and they were, they absolutely were. In fact, uh, during coffee talks with the cadets this morning, um, one of the questions I got asked was, you know, what do you like about San Diego and the opportunity to be stationed here? Da, da, da. Uh, you know, which you know, obviously is awesome. Um, and then I asked them, so if you're told that your, your next assignment, you're going to go to Grand Forks Air Force Base, North Dakota, what would your reaction be? And, you know, they were like, oh my God, North Dakota, man, it's cold up there. Um, so that's the one time in my career where, you know, I, I was like, man, you know, I just got an assignment to Grand Forks and I'm not excited to go to Grand Forks at all. Uh, and it was one of our best assignments with, without a doubt. Um, so what I told the cadets this morning, and I'll reiterate here is every assignment is what you make of it. All right. So, and we've been stationed all over the world. I've had the opportunity to deploy all over the place. Um, and I've enjoyed every single place that I've been to. So it's all what you make of it. But if you're going to back me in the corner and say, what is your favorite assignment? Uh, definitely the 786 Security Forces Squadron at Simbach, Germany. Um, so I was a squadron commander there uh, for two years. Uh, so one, we're in Germany. If you've never been to Europe, Europe is awesome. Uh, absolutely love Europe, love Germany. Uh, opportunity to travel all over Europe was just, just fantastic. Um, the organization that uh, that we were in, so we were part of the, we were one of the squadrons within the 86 Contingency Response Group. Um, so we had a du dual fold mission set. Um, so we ran the uh, the Europe Security Forces Regional Training Center. So before any uh, security forces airmen that were stationed in Europe uh, deployed to Iraq, Afghanistan, Gulf States, and that that, that type of stuff, uh, they did. Um, base defense training with us for, uh, for a few weeks. Uh, so we got the opportunity to, to run the, the regional training center, that schoolhouse. Uh, so that was fantastic. And then the second part of our mission uh, was part of the contingency response group. And its main, main mission was uh, to assess airfields and to be able to open uh, airfields to bring in uh, obviously aircraft. Uh, we were also airborne capable so uh, we were jumping out of airplanes. Uh, so I got the opportunity to go to airborne school down at, at Fort Benning, Georgia with the army. So again, going back to uh, when I thought I, I was gonna go in the army and I wanted the infantry ranger and go to airborne. Finally, as a major, I got the opportunity to, to uh, not only go to airborne school, but I, I became a jump master uh, also. Um, 
so we got the opportunity to travel uh, both personally, but also professionally. We got to travel all over Europe. Um, we got to work with a lot of our, our NATO partners, um, get to jump all over the place. Uh, you know, I've been awarded uh, German, Italian, Bulgarian, and Serbian jump wings. So got to jump with those, uh, those different militaries. Uh, and then what really made it the most special, if you will, um, was, was the people. Uh, so that squadron was, was, I mean, absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, all very, very motivated uh, airmen, uh, without a doubt. Um, you know, anything that we need to do to accomplish the mission, I mean, they, they, they took care of. I mean, it, it, it was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, great, great bunch of airmen that really made the assignment. And then based off the location and based off our mission sets, um, just made it a very memorable assignment. Definitely, definitely a lot of fun. My neck and back, you know, a little beat up from falling out of airplanes. Um, but, uh, but loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. But all assignments were, were absolutely fantastic. Um, again, it, it is absolutely what you make of it and what you're going to find. Uh, I would argue, especially if you stay around is the people are really going to make your assignments and, you know, the location, uh, is a bonus on top of it. So now we'd like to shift from that topic over into the advancement from Lieutenant Colonel to Colonel. Um, mm. We as cadets don't see many colonels and we know that there aren't many around. Um, can you talk about what the board wants to see in a future Colonel? Uh, and as well, it's a two-part question. At this point in the military career, many Lieutenant Colonels have an amazing amount of accomplishments and experience, but what really makes the big difference between a Lieutenant Colonel and a Colonel? Yeah, um, so, so that's a great question, um, and there is no single answer to it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different paths to 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 06 to Colonel, um, and up until what, 2015, um, I, I I never thought Colonel was I, I never thought I was on the path to Colonel. I I I just didn't. Um, Again, there's a lot of different paths that, that you can take. Uh, the particular path that I was on is I was a unit guy. Um, so I never did any joint time. Uh, so I was never on a, a combatant command staff. You know, I was never on the half staff. Uh, I, I never did, uh, you know, any of those big type of staff jobs. Um, I was never an exec. I never did you know, any of that type of stuff. Uh, I was just, I was a unit guy and, um, and I got to command a lot at the, at the squadron level. And then, um, you know, once I made 06, I got to command at the group level. Uh, so, <laughs> so I never thought I was going to be in 06. Um, so got to, you know, do my, my four squadron commands. Um, as I finished up my last squadron command at Kadena Air Base in Okinawa, Japan, um, I deployed to Afghanistan for a year as a, as a deputy group commander. Um, and so one of the things that the board does look at is, is, is progression and, how well you do in, in each one of those jobs as they try to project, you know, how well you're, you'll do in, in the future. Um, so like I mentioned, I, I got the opportunity to, to command four times, which is, which is a lot. Uh, so I, I think that, that showed, you know, continued leadership potential. Um, and then in Afghanistan that year went very well uh, also at, at, as a deputy group commander and uh, the wing commander there, you know, as he wrote my my performance report, 
uh, he ranked me very, very high. And to be ranked as a support guy in a combat flying wing, um, I think that that started to really set things in motion um, to show the board that there was still further uh, potential. Um, and then as I came out of Afghanistan, uh, I did a stint on the, on the PACAF staff. So it was my first time at a MASCOM staff. I'd never, never been a MASCOM staff officer, you know, that type of stuff. Um, but I was, I was fortunate there also, uh, and was ranked very high, uh, on my performance reports there. And, and based off, off that continued progression of commands, uh, the continued progressions of being ranked very high on my performance reports. Uh, I got the opportunity to, you know, I got selected to go to, to school in residence. Um, so it's your senior um, military education. Um, so I got to go off to Air War College for a year. And the promotion rate, so for, for, um, for SDE, so your senior developmental education, um, at the time, if you got to go in residence, it was about a 99% selection rate to 06. Um, so very, very competitive to, to get selected to go to school in resident, uh, which I never thought I, I never thought I'd get, get selected, um, but, but they selected me. So they sent me off to school. So once they selected me for school, that was the first, first hint that, wow, I, I might, I might actually make 06. You know, you go ask any, any of my buddies, you're like, oh, Grant, me not making no freaking 06. What are you talking about? Um, so, so that was the first indication. And then, you know, uh, I had fun at school, you know, got that all knocked out, uh, got another master's degree out of that. So that was good, I guess. Um, and then found out why I was at school that I was selected uh, uh, for 06. And, um, and you know, again, like I said, I'm a unit guy, you know, so, you know, not a lot of staff time. Um, and my hope was as an 06 that uh, they would let me continue to command and you know, that I could that I could become a group commander um, and, and not a staff officer. So, so that was my hope. And again, uh, I was very fortunate. I got the opportunity to, to command at the group level and who knew even at the, detach the detachment level, which was a, a surprise also. So doing a great job, I think, you know, um, showing. Uh, well, you know, the job that you're in, you're doing a very good job there, which again, I contribute to people that, that I was around, um, that were a lot smarter than me, that, that kept me in line, kept us, you know, as an organization on track to do good things. Um, so showing that continued progression, you know, I had bosses that took care of me that ranked me high and, uh, and then the rest kind of took care of itself. So I never worried about it, to be honest with you. I mean, again, I never thought I'd be in 06. Um, it was, I never really thought it was in my cards. I never thought about it. You know, just, I like being around airmen, you know, I like being at the unit level. I was glad, you know, that I didn't do a lot of staff time. Glad I was never an exec. Um, you know, there's some things I, I think I, well, I know there's a lot that I could have learned from those, those jobs that would, would have made me a better officer. Um, but I'll, I'll take being with airmen any day of the week. In your last assignment as a security forces group commander, you were in charge of more than 1300 personnel, key armament for the United States and infrastructure spread, uh, spread approximated to 10,000 square miles across Wyoming, Nebraska, and Colorado. How were you able to handle that huge responsibility and not let it mentally overwhelm you? And what, le what was like the most valuable lesson you could take away from that type of leadership? Yeah, uh, yeah great question. Um, 
So interesting part. So, uh, you know, I, as you listen to that, uh, you know, the, the missile field spread over, uh, you know, almost 10,000 square miles. Um, so I had never done a tour, you know, as a Lieutenant or as a captain, I'd, I'd never done any time in the missile fields before. So I didn't have a background, uh, in, 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 in the missile fields. Um, so I definitely had to learn a lot and I had to learn a lot, uh, very quickly. Um, I'm going to sound a little bit like a broken record though. Right. So, uh, I quickly surrounded myself with really good people. Right. Um, so my group chief, uh, so I, I was very fortunate during my two years, <clears throat> I had three different, uh, group chiefs, uh, all, all fantastic. Um, you know, and I, I started off with, with chief Facemeyer, John Facemeyer, again, still, you know, keep in touch with him. Uh, you know, he's retired now. Uh, you know, but you know, he was like, all right, sir, you know, here's, here's where you got to concentrate your efforts as you start to learn this job. Um, so, so he, you know, definitely, uh, you know, definitely started me off on, on the right foot. And then as, as chief Lewis came in, uh, Brian Lewis, uh, who's now the top enlisted cop in the United States air force now. Um, so as chief Lewis came in, um, he really started to set the stage to making the organization better and in what route we needed to go to, to progress as an organization. Um, but uh, having the right squadron commanders was huge because, uh, you know, obviously, you know, they're, they're the ones out there, you know, really making, making the, the mission happen, and, you know, again, along with their, their chiefs and their ops officers and ops superintendents. Um, and, it really, we tried to set an environment for communication, right? Um, so again, you got a guy that doesn't have background in, in missile security and you know, all, the, all the ins and outs of that. So really need to understand from you know, the youngest airmen uh, you know, uh, up to the chief mass arms and squadron commanders uh, to, to make sure that the lines of communication were open, that that data could could get to myself and to, and, and to the chief, so that we could make good decisions on behalf of the organization. Um, and you really had to have those lines of communication open and, and allow people to um, to try to have a say in in, in what's going on. Um, you also have to understand, you know, if you got over thirteen hundred people, you're not going to make everybody happy, right? So the decisions that that you make, you know, based off what your wants, needs, desires, goals are. Uh, you may completely disagree with a decision that you know the chief and I had to make. Um, but I would also argue if you take the time to try to explain the why behind the decision, um, a person may not agree with it, but hopefully they would understand uh, you know where we were coming from and why we made that, that that decision. And you know hopefully they would understand that the decision was made um, with their their best interest at heart and mission accomplishment. Um, and it's a tough environment out there. You know, our, our airmen, you know, as they go out to the, to the missile field, um, you, know, you know, they're spending, you know, five days at a time, uh, you know, living out in a missile field. So away from, away from their families um, for, for five days at a time, uh, you know, with a lot of, a lot of responsibilities, um, you know, lack of some infrastructure, uh, you know, that, that type of stuff. So, um, you know, really trying to ensure that you're doing everything you can to, to help take care of them. Um, to make sure that, uh, you know, they understand, you know, the different things that the why behind the things that they're responsible for. Right. So they know, Hey, I got to go do X, Y, and Z to ensure our mission success. Um, but here's the why behind it. Here's how, it, how it plays into the, 
into the overall mission set for the entire wing. Um, and, and that can be, you know, definitely very difficult to do. And um, I'm not sure, well, I know we didn't get it perfect. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it can be, it can be, it can be very difficult uh, with that many people uh, spread out over those type of distances to have really, really good open communication. Um, but that's what I always strove for. Uh, you know, that was one of my four priorities. You guys have heard my priorities, you know, when it comes to training, communication, family, and fun. Um, I tried to live that as a, as a squadron commander and as, as a group commander. Um, and I've always thought those were, were very important. Um, so that's what we tried to try to work towards, you know, make sure that airmen understood those priorities uh, and, uh, and, and try to have some success. So learned a lot. I mean, it was a fantastic assignment. Um, I was tired at the end of it, without a doubt uh you know the phone ringing you know 24 hours a day seven days a week it's awesome um but yeah again you know watching these 18 19 20 21 year old airmen you know led by you know 22 23 24 year old staff sergeants uh out there handling you know our nation's business it's just so fulfilling uh to me i i mean i i i love it love love the career field love the air force you know i love our enlisted corps uh you know love watching ncos lead airmen um, and I love just being a part of that energy. Uh, yeah, so, so it's fun. Yes, sir, without doubt. So how Colonel Green transitioned from being a group commander to being a detachment commander, sir? <laughs> um, so I think it's a funny story. But uh, so, um, you know, we talked about these different tracks of, you know, you know how you can make O6. Um, you know, you can also get on these different tracks and you make 06 and you, you know, if you're going to go be a wing commander, you know, that type of stuff. Um, I was not on the track to be a wing commander and, and it was very clear uh, that um, group command was, was going to be my last, my last level of command, um, which I'm completely okay with. Again, yeah, I, one, I didn't realize I was going to be in 06. And then once I found out, all I cared about was being a group commander. Uh, so that worked out. So, you know, definitely a dream come true for me. Um but I knew my commanding days were, were coming to an end. So I had a decision to make. Do I uh, apply for ROTC or do I just go on to, uh, to be a staff officer somewhere? And uh, wasn't that excited about being a staff officer. And I was very nervous about ROTC. My wife and I, we'd always talked about, you know, trying to get back into ROTC at some point, um, you know, because, you know, we had such a good experience as, you know, when I was a cadet. Um, but I was worried about being bored, right? Cause I, I just thought back to my RTC days, you know, we had, we had classes twice a week as cadets. Um, we were always around the detachment, you know, you know, you know, during, during the weekdays. Um, but we only had those two classes. I'm like, what's a cadre do the rest of the time. Right. Um, so I was really worried about being bored. And I don't like to be bored at all. And, uh, you know, I, I always got to have something to do and, you know, trying to be productive and whatnot. And uh, so I talked to a bunch of, of, of buddies that had were either current uh, deck commanders or had been previous deck commanders. And across the board, every single one of them was like, you are not going to be bored. Now, there may be some stuff that you don't like to do as you're being an admin guy uh, doing stuff, um, but you're not going to be bored. And when you're around the cadets, it will make everything worth it. I'm like, all right. Um, so at the 06 level, competing for a deck command is very, very competitive. So um, I think we had five detachments that were rotating the year that I applied. And I think they had over 50 colonels apply. 
Um, and, uh, you know, the vast majority of them are graduated, you know, wing or, or group commanders. Uh, so, so very, very competitive. Um, and uh, so it's funny. So my boss at the time, my wing commander, so she calls me up. It was like, hey, John, uh, you didn't get selected for ROTC. Uh, okay. Got it, man. Thank, thank, thanks for letting me know. So I'm, I'm now in my mind, I'm, I'm going to go be a staff officer. And if I'm going to be a staff officer, how do I get back to Europe or Hawaii? Um, we've been stationed both in Europe, well, Europe twice, and we've been stationed in Hawaii. Um, so if I'm going to go be a staff guy, how do I get back to Europe or, or to Hawaii? And uh, it was about a week later, she called me up and she's like, hey, uh, so you know that whole ROTC thing? I'm like, yes, ma'am. I kind of put it out of my head. You, know, I, I, you said I, I wasn't selected. Well, I was wrong. You were going to San Diego State University. I'm like, what? I'm like, yes, this, you know, this is awesome. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it, it, it came down to I didn't want to be a staff officer. Um, and more importantly is I wanted to be around young folks full of energy, uh, you know, that are starting off their air force careers, uh, just like our airmen and security forces. Um, and hopefully to be able to have a positive impact on their lives as they as they start off, uh, start off in their careers. So, so I was fortunate, very happy to be here. Pretty sure I can speak, uh, on behalf of the detachment and say that we are glad that you took the uh, the seat on that one, uh, being that you're such an amazing leader, sir. Um, but moving on, um, can you, and this will actually put you on the spot here, but your main challenges with running this detachment in particular, and then as well, the best experiences that you've come across. <laughs> the main, the main, COVID-19. <laughs> COVID-19 is making everything so difficult. Uh, and it really, it, it by far the, the biggest challenge has been COVID nineteen. You know, you know, teaching on on a virtual platform. You're trying to do lead lab and FTP virtually. Uh, it's very difficult, and it takes away again from that that personal connection. Um, so, so I so I find I find that I find that hard. Um, you know, got to fight through the you know the the, the discouragement of it, um, and still try to make it. You know meaningful impactful uh for the for the cadets as we step through lead lab and ftp in our academic classes um but it, it definitely takes away from the overall rtc experience um you know field training uh you know this summer uh you know it, it was difficult because of all the covid uh mitigations that we put in place all the social social distancing protocols that that uh, we adhered to um made everything more difficult uh, so, so that's definitely been by far the, the most challenging thing. Um, but you know, I think if we look at COVID-19 across the board, um, it's probably the most challenging thing in, in all of our lives right now, no matter if it's, uh, dealing with our ROTC, whether it's dealing with your, your normal school, school work, whether it's dealing with trying to see or take care of family members or trying to have a social life, you know, it, it, I mean, just, it's screwing everything up. Um, so, so definitely by far is, is the most challenging um, but it has been very uh, inspiring, you know, watching the cadets figure out how to operate in this environment, right? It's like a big GLP, right? So, you know, nobody can meet in person. You can't do any of that type of stuff, but you still got to meet all these same objectives. Go, right? Um, and, and to watch the cadets come up with these, these, different, these different solutions uh, in a virtual in the virtual world has just been been absolutely fascinating um and, and again you know it just it shows the capability of 
uh, not only of our, of our cadets, but when you start to, to put a team together, you know, to put a family together, that you can fight through these obstacles, right? When these barriers are, are put in front of you, you know, how, how do you navigate, you know, around them? How do you freaking just bust through them, whatever it may be, right? Uh, and and our, our cadet wing has done that. Uh, so, so that's been pretty cool to watch. Um, you know, when you get on active duty, you know, not everything's gonna be perfect, right? Uh, you're gonna have to fight through, you know, different uh, scenarios, different, uh, different obstacles, you know, really hard, uh, you know, subjects put, put, in, put in front of you and, and you gotta fight through that. And whether we realize it or not in this virtual uh, realm, we're learning how to do that. Uh, and, and the cadets are learning how to do that. So, you know, when they get off on out into active duty and they're presented, you know, this, you know, this wicked hard problem that they got to solve, um, they're going to already have some, you know, some experience of, of having, having to deal with a wicked hard problem. Um, and, and they're going to be able to fight through it. So, uh, so you guys are going to be able to fight through it. Uh, so, so that, 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 that's pretty cool. Um, you know, on the positive side though, I mean, you know, watching, cadets succeed watching flights come together as families right um you know watching cadets pin on second lieutenant watching them come back from field training getting to tell a cadet hey congratulations we're going to pay for your college right you know you know handing out those scholarships getting to tell a cadet hey congratulations you're going to be a pilot in the united states air force right or you're going to go be a uh you know a maintenance officer in, in the united states air force Hey, congratulations. Your first duty assignment is going to be at you know, pick, pick, pick your base um, and being part of, of that experience with the cadets. Um, man, that, that's, that's just awesome. 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 You know, to, to watch them commission, uh, to be there, you know, when they find out what AFSC they're going to go to, what base they're going to go to, uh, you know, when they get picked up for different awards or different PDTs or you know, all that different stuff, man, it's, it's that is so fulfilling and it's so awesome to, to watch your all success. Um, and I would argue, again, you can correlate that on active duty as you watch your airmen, right. As you watch your airmen get promoted, right. Uh, when they pick up an assignment and they get to go to, Hey, congratulations, you're headed off to Hawaii. Right. Oh, hey, I got a Hawaii. It's awesome. Right. Um, you know, when you get to pin a medal on them, when you get to award them, you know, Hey, you're the, you're the airman of the Corps, you're the NCO of the year, you know, you're the Sajon winner. Um, you, whatever it may be. So watching their success, um, we get to see the same thing in RTC, which is absolutely fantastic. And, and it definitely, uh, definitely makes it all worth it. You know, watching your all's growth from, uh, from no kidding, you know, civilians, um, to, uh, to second lieutenants, um, uh, in, you know, four years to, you know, people coming into the program or even if they're doing the three-year program, um, that seems like a long time in the big scheme of things. It's not, you know, especially, you know, 25 years of active duty throughout four years of RTC, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on 30 years uh, of, of doing this um, and four years goes by so quickly and, and your all's transformation uh, is pretty freaking cool to watch. It is pretty cool to watch and, uh, you know, and then sending you off on, on active duty and you guys get to, to really start your journey there. So, um, man, I'm just, I'm just, I'm honored to be part of it. It's pretty cool. Okay, sir and thank you so unfortunately we know you're gonna be retiring soon so what is next after the air force for colonel Grimm? 
So I keep telling my my wife that I'm going to be a stay at home dad. That's that's my game plan, and she keeps reminding me that our daughter, our youngest daughter, uh, so the only one that's left in the house, uh, is going off to college in January. So by the time I do retire, we will not have any kids in the house. I don't know why she keeps bringing that up. I, I think I can still be a stay at home dad, even though there's no kids in the house. I don't think the kids being here is a requirement. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't read the rule books. I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I, I don't know what I'm going to do come, come retirement time. In fact, that's, that's a scary, a scary, uh, you know, subject for us. Um, you know, cause I, I've been doing this, you know, since I graduated college, obviously. So, uh, I think one of the things that ROTC has reminded me is how much I miss the college environment. Um, so if an opportunity presented itself to stay with a university somewhere, um, not necessarily as a professor, but you know, whether it had to do with veteran affairs at a university um, or admissions type stuff. So trying to help people, you know, get in, get into a college, uh, you know, that type of stuff, I think that would be fulfilling. Um, so if I could stay around a university, I think, I think that would be, that, that would be pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's towards the top of the list that or a stay home dad, one or the other. <laughs> awesome, sir. Um, so this next question is going to be one that we ask every guest, uh, close to the end of the, end of the podcast. So that is, what does leadership mean to you, sir? Yeah, so that's a, I mean, there's books and books and books and books, you know, written on, on leadership. Um, so, and I, I would argue no one ever perfects leadership, right? I think, you know, learning about leadership is a, is a lifelong journey, um, you know, especially as, as, you, as you reflect on where you've been, what you've done. Uh, where you're going, uh, you know, and those lessons learned, uh, both good and bad, uh, as, as you continue to refine your, your leadership uh, capabilities. But to me, you know, leadership, again, I, I'm going to go back to, again, the broken record aspect of it. Um, one of the biggest parts of leadership in my mind is getting to know your people, right? One of the first things that people may say, uh, you know, leadership is all about accomplishing the mission. Yeah, I mean, okay, cool. I mean, it's, you know, obviously you got to accomplish the mission. Um, but simply saying you're going to accomplish the mission, that, that to me doesn't really scratch any of the itch when it comes to, to, to leadership. Because uh, at the end of the day in, in the United States Air Force, it, you know, again, I mentioned this before, it takes a team to accomplish the mission. And if the team is not all going in the same direction, um, you're not most likely not going to be successful. You're definitely not going to uh, you know, start taking your organization to, to a higher level. And again, I would argue that a good leader is going to take the time to get to know their people, right? And build that relationship uh, with the people within their organization. Um, so there is a clear understanding on uh, who each person is, right? Uh, what they bring to the fight, where they hope to go, uh, how you can help them to, to get to where their goals are and, and interweave all of that information, all of that data into mission accomplishment. Right. So, you know, we talk about, you know, mission first, airmen always. Um, 
a lot of people don't understand what that means, um, but it's a very true statement. Um, but you really got to peel it, peel it back. And you know, what does that airman always? What does that mean? So if the mission's first, right? And you may potentially put people in harm's way. How can that be, airman always? Then, well, the airman always is: Are you doing everything in your power to take care of your airmen, to ensure that they're properly trained, that they have a voice in where you're going as as an in organization? Do they feel like they're they're part of that family? Right? Are they enjoying what they're doing? Um, and are they seeing success and you may have to put them in harm's way. And, but if you've trained them well, right, then you're giving them every opportunity to, to be successful and be able to come home with all their fingers and toes. Right. If you give them a voice in, in the organization, then, you know, you as a leader, you're learning from them, you're understanding what their needs are. Um, if there's deficits out there, uh, deficiencies out there that, that you need to address, that they're comfortable bringing those up so, so you know to, to fight for, you know, whatever resources, time, training, whatever it is to correct some of that stuff. Um, and, and you're you're seeing their success, right? And if their success is to do their four years and, and they go do something else, right? So their success is a honorable discharge at the end of their four years um, that they can take off to the civilian world and say, hey, I'm, I'm a veteran, man. All right? I just served four years, served our country for four years. And now I want to go do X, Y, and Z and, and go, go be successful there. You know, did we help with that? Um, you know, maybe, you know, they want to be the, the next chief mass sergeant, you know, of the air force. Right. So how do you get them from senior airman to staff sergeant? Right. So is that, is that part of their success uh, also, or, you know, you got a young airman that wants to be a, you know, become an officer. So how do you set them up for success to, to get into a commissioning program? Right. Or you have a young officer that, uh, you know, they want to go to, you know, you know, their security forces officer, but what they really want to do is go fly. You know, how can you help them, you know, become a pilot? Um, but, uh, you know, I, at the end of the day, getting to know your folks, to me, is one of the biggest parts of leadership that cannot be overstated. Um, and everybody, no matter what career field you go into, should take the time to get to know their people. Right. So even if you're that lieutenant going to a fighter squadron where uh, you may not supervise a, an enlisted member until you know, you're, you're a lieutenant colonel, um, you have to get to know your fellow airmen, meaning you have to get to know, you know your fellow lieutenants, you know, those, those captains, and you got to get to know them on a, on a personal level so you can really build that, that, family, uh, that family atmosphere uh, so that you all take care of each other in accomplishing the, the mission. So. Uh, so leadership is is about taking care of your people, and and you gotta you gotta get to know them. You gotta get to know them. So that's to me that's probably one of the the, the biggest pieces of, of leadership. It's not the only piece, but uh, one of the biggest pieces. Definitely, sir. So we have the last question of the podcast. Okay. Any other words for cadets out there specifically having a hard time fulfilling the commitment of ROTC online? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the online portion sucks <laughs> uh, w without a doubt. Um, so, you know, there's obviously a commitment when it comes to being an ROTC, right? Uh, you know, we don't give away second lieutenant bars, right? Folks have to go out and they have to earn them. Um, and, you know, we have expectation for our cadets to do well in the classroom. We have expectations for our cadets to do well physically with their physical fitness. Um, and we expect them, obviously, to be part of the cadet wing. 
Um, so, so folks that, that are struggling uh, in any of those realms, and especially as, as we're virtual, uh, I think one of the biggest things is to understand that there's other people in the exact same boat as you. And don't be afraid to say something. So it goes back to you know those four priorities, right? So it goes back to that communication. So if you find yourself really struggling, talk to your fellow cadets, right? We have a mentorship program with the POC cadets um, because that's another great source of information on you know how they've dealt with different issues. Um, and then of course, all of the cadre members, we are all here for you. The whole reason why we're here is for every one of our cadets. That's why the United States Air Force has sent us here is for each and every one of you. Um, so we're always reachable. And, you know, some people are like, ah, you know, you're, you're a colonel. We can't talk to the colonel. Yes, you can. You know, welcome to ROTC. Uh, you can. Um, so, you know, being able to reach out and, and talk to the folks about where you're really struggling and see if, if, if there's different strategies that can be put in place to, uh, to ensure success, right? Um, or to relieve pressure where, where pressure may need to be relieved. So one of the things that, that I always like to tell our cadets is, um, you know, we hope that our cadets have balance in their lives. And, you know, as, as young college students, that can be very difficult, right? Again, you gotta be able to balance school. You gotta be able to balance, uh, you know, working out. You gotta be able to balance your ROTC commitments. Uh, a lot of our cadets work, all right? So you gotta be able to balance uh, work. And I would also argue you need to balance your social life. Right. Um, we want you guys to have friends, families, you know, significant others, you know, that, that type of stuff. Um, so, you know, trying to find that balance can be very difficult. Right. Um, especially for some of our newer cadets, you know, as they try to figure out what ROTC is about, you know, we start really early in the morning. That, that can make things very difficult um, or virtual. So you, you may not make that personal connection with other other cadets that uh, if we were in person, uh, that personal connection and those lifelong friendships would build a lot faster. Um, but understanding that if you put in, put in that work, try to find the balance between all those things. And if you find yourself out of balance to, to talk to us and us could be again, fellow cadets, it could be POC cadets, it could be cadre and talk to us and try to find some strategies to, help get your life back into balance. Now, can I go take your, your mechanical engineering test for you? Absolutely not. You don't even want me taking a history test for you, right? You want me to take none of that stuff. Um, but where can we, where can we provide strategies for you to, to get yourself back into, back into balance? Um, and understand that, that that's part of why we're here, right? And it's okay if you're at, out of balance and to say that, that you're out of balance and that you need help. Um, and, and nobody's going to look down at you and nobody's going to be like, oh, you know, okay, you're out of the program, you know, because you're out of balance. Um, we're all in this together, right? And if cadets are willing to put in the work, then we're willing to put in the work with them uh, to get them through any type of, uh, again, any obstacle or barrier that's put in their way. And, uh, you know, we keep moving forward, right? Um, I also, I, I encourage cadets to visualize, right? So visualize. That, that commissioning day, what, what is that gonna look like for you? What's it gonna look like when, you know, whoever it is is gonna pin those second lieutenant bars on you? You know, is it mom, is it dad? You know, is it boyfriend, is it girlfriend, is it wife, husband, is it kid, is it your best friend? Who's gonna pin those on you? So imagine the ceremony, especially if we ever get back out to the Midway. The Midway's freaking pretty cool. Um, can you imagine standing there in front of everybody 
and you got your family there and then pinning second lieutenant's bars on you. And nobody ever addresses you as cadet again. And now they address you as LT. Imagine what that feels like, right? For me, my dad pinned, pinned me on and my dad gave, gave me my oath, right? As a brand new second lieutenant, my, my first oath, my commissioning oath, my dad got to do it, right? Visualize what that's like. And every time something gets really hard and it freaking sucks, man, I want to get up, you know, for freaking FTP because it freaking sucks it's early and I freaking hate it, right? I want to sleep in, you know, I, I, I was trying to have balance last night and I hung out with my friends way too late, right? And I'm tired. Man, I want to be that second lieutenant. I want to get to that day where I put in all that work and I'm now earned that right to be called a second lieutenant in the United States Air Force or Space Force. All right. Visualize that. All right. And then understand all the hard work, all the sacrifice. It's all worth it to get to that culminating point of your ROTC career to start your journey within the Air Force or Space Force. Visualize that. That will also help you. I would argue uh, will help you get through some of the rough times. A technique. Cool. So that was extremely motivational what you just said right there. So this concludes episode six of Live with Detachment 075. I'm one of your hosts, Cadet Third Class, Jerry and Gihama. So it's great to have uh, the PA team on here as well. Thank you guys to Cadet Major Rojas and Cadet Third Class Kinghorn. And a very special thanks to our guest, uh, Colonel Grimm. Thank you. It's been a privilege having you on, sir. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. It was fun.